Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Tudor, as we talk to you about the MLB, the NBA, tennis, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 181. Yes, this week Kyle is on vacation. However, Mike is back from vacation. Welcome back, Mike. We still have a three episode or a three host crew this episode, which is fantastic. And we're talking about more Formula One like we did last week. And to kick that off, I would like to give you a Formula One fun fact. We haven't had one of those in a long time. And this happened after qualifying for Silverstone last week, uh, where Carlos Sainz became just the sixth driver with Car C A R in their name to take an F1 pole position for qualifying. Those other five are people I can guarantee y'all have never heard of. Alberto Ascari, Ricardo Patrice, Carlos Rudiman, Giancarlo Fischella, and Jose Carlos Pace. No one else has had CAR, C-A-R, in their name and had a pole position besides those six individuals. We have more Formula One coming up for you later on the episode, but first, we have some baseball to talk about. We do. We are approaching, we have passed the um, official halfway point in the season. Um, pretty much every team has played more than their, um, than their 81 games, which would mark the halfway point of the season. Um, so I just want to make some midway uh, of the season observations to start. Um, first of all, the Yankees are probably one of the best teams in the history of baseball. Um, they are, their current record is, um, 61 and 25. That is a 709, um, winning percentage for those of you, um, keeping track at home. The best winning percentage ever um, currently is the 1906 Cubs, who went 116 and 36, um, which, doing the math at home, is a winning percentage of 743. So the Yankees are not uh, too much behind. In fact, they're seventh currently on the all-time list um, for best win percentage of all time. And sixth, if you throw out the Dodgers' um, 2020 season and the 60-game season, which, you know, I do because you shouldn't count that. Sorry. Um, So this is – the Yankees are one of the best teams in the history of baseball relative to the competition. Um, And really that whole division is is very good. The Orioles are currently in last place in that division, but they'd be in second place in the AL Central, third place in the AL West – fourth place in the NL East, third place in the NL Central, and fourth place in the NL West. So this is a team that's, uh, this is a division that's just really, really good. They're doing that all against a very good division too. That, that's my point. Is that whole div- It's not like they're beating up on a really weak division um, to do it. That division has, has some really good teams. So I don't love to, to say that the Yankees are good, um, but they they are they, it's undeniable. They've also gotten some good uh, good health, um, which is which is helpful for them. So maybe they could see some luck uh, luck turn there. We'll see. But um, yeah, the Yankees really really good. Um, 
And outside of the AL East, the rest of the American League is is pretty bad. The Astros are good, but other than that, nobody's really any good. Only the Twins are above 500 in the AL Central. The AL West used to be that way until Seattle got really hot and went on an eight-game win streak here um, over the last week and a half. To me, it's the Yankees, the Astros, and there's a big step down to pretty much everybody else um, in this in this league. Um, and outside of the AL East, outside of the AL East, there's only four positive run differentials in the American League. It's just, yeah, it's just not a good league, which bodes well for the Yankees. Seeing the Yankees and Astros in the ALCS, which I know is just everybody's dream, right? That's what you guys are hoping for at the beginning of the year. I do love to watch the Yankees. Their fans are so humble and fun to talk to. Oh, they are. Yankees fans are the best. They're not. They're not obnoxious whatsoever. They don't. Yeah, no. No, they don't throw things down from the stands on the players or anything. No. I went to a, a Twins-Yankees game the other day, uh, the, a couple weeks ago, and I made a good joke. There were a bunch of Yankees fans at the Twins game. And, you know, I saw them walking around, and I said, I would tell them all to go back to New York, but 95% of them have probably never been there. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> that was a good one. So, yeah, that, that, that tells you all I need to know about Yankees fans. Um, other observations from across baseball – um, really, the uh, the Braves have really gone on a streak here and have almost caught the Mets, who were running away with that uh, NL East earlier in the year. The Cardinals have gone on a little bit of a slide recently. Lucky for them, the Brewers have also gone on a little bit of a slide at the same time. So that division remains a two-horse race with the Brewers um, slightly ahead. Um both San Diego and San Francisco have also been struggling while the Dodgers have gone on a nice win streak. Um, so that division, the, the Dodgers are starting to run away with that division a little bit with an eight-game lead over the Padres. Um, the team, as with the halfway point, the teams that have been the biggest surprise for me this year, um, both on the good side and the bad side, um, have been uh, how bad... Sorry, how bad uh, the Chicago White Sox have been. Um, they were a lot, many people, they were trendy pick to, to uh, win the AL pennant going into the year. And they've just, they haven't been able to get back to 500 in quite some, or back over 500 in quite some time. They just continue to make stupid plays all the time. They flew into an 8 5 triple play against the Twins earlier in the, earlier in the, uh, in the week, they just don't look like a good team, even though on paper they really are. Um, teams that have been surprised by how good they are, um, to me it's been the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I talked about them a couple weeks ago and I predicted they'd finish ahead of the White Sox, and you all sort of laughed at me. But currently they're a half game ahead of the White Sox. They're only a game below 500 and only two games out of the playoffs right now. Um, so do I think they'll make the playoffs? No, I don't think that. They're that good. But they've surprised me that they're even this competitive. I think they've surprised themselves. Their bullpen has been really good. Um, and I think it's going to be a much more fun um, fall in Baltimore than it has been, been previously. Um, do you guys have any observations about the first, uh, first half of the MLB season you'd like to share? I don't really. I'll probably get locked in a little bit more now. You know, we got basketball all out of the way, which is what I'm normally watching. So 
kind of start focusing on it a little more than I was before. Yeah, Sam, the only takeaway is the thing that we all knew, which was the Cubs bad. But not as bad as the Reds yet, anyway. They did, they did, they were tied in the standings at one point. Yeah, this scary. is a couple weeks ago. They were tied. Currently, the Cubs have a two-game lead over the Reds, but your prediction almost came off as wrong when you said the, the Reds would never pass the Cubs, or the Reds would never be la- out of last. Yep, yep. I didn't count tying for fourth as being out of last. So. I agree. So, yeah, but we'll see. Right now, the Reds are on a four-game win streak and the Cubs are on a four-game losing streak. So by next week, that prediction could be wrong. We will see. Um, the only other big news coming out of Major League Baseball is the All-Star rosters um, were announced. Um, have, have you guys looked at the All-Star rosters? I guess I'll start there. Um, Very briefly. Do, yeah, not, do you want me to run through Yeah, you just want to go down real quick. Yeah, yeah, okay. So in the American League, the starters are Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays at catcher, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, Altuve at second, Rafael Devers at third, Tim Anderson at short, Judge, Trout, and Stanton in the outfield, and Otani at DH. Um, with the reserves, um, the catcher being Trevino from the Yankees, um, Luis Arise from the Twins, um, Xander Bogarts, Jose Ramirez, and Andres Jimenez of the Guardians across the infield. Outfield reserves are George Springer, Byron Buxton, and Andrew Benintendi, Kyle Tucker, and Julio Rodriguez, with Jordan Alvarez being the DH. Um, with the pitchers, I'll run through quick. Shane McClanahan, Nestor Cortez, Alec Manoa, Franmir Valdez, Martin Perez, Paul Blackburn, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, Clay Holmes, Emmanuel Classe, Gregory Soto, and Jorge Lopez. So the thing to note there is Otani is both a pitcher and the starting DH. Um, in the National League, the starting catcher is Wilson Contreras, Paul Goldschmidt at first, Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins at second, Machado at third, Trey Turner at short, Acuna, Betts, and Jock Peterson across the outfield, and Bryce Harper as the DH. Um, the reserves, um, Travis Dayano of the Braves as the catcher, Nolan Arenado, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil of the Mets, CJ Crone, and Dan B. Swanson across the infield, Schwarber, Juan Soto, Sterling Marte, and Ian Happ across the outfield, and um, William Contreras as the DH. With the pitchers being Kershaw, Alan Contra, Burns, Castillo, Max Freed, Tony Gonsolin, Joe Musgrove, Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, Ryan Helsey of the Cardinals, David Bender, and Joe Mantipi of the Diamondbacks. So, now that you've heard the rosters, do you have any thoughts on who was snubbed from the roster, who should have been a starter over somebody else? Any, any thoughts? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think one of the big names that gets left off that you're kind of surprised about is uh, Freddie Freeman. Yep. I would have thought he would be on there. Um, let's see. Hitting 296, 376, 477. 10 home runs, 52 RBIs. Uh, yeah, ranks in the top 10 in the NL and RBI run scored, hits, doubles, and on-base percentage. So pretty good. He's a very popular player, so you were kind of surprised not to see him be there. Um, obviously, part of that has to do with, you know, how other players were playing at that position. Um you think that he would probably get that DH spot now? I don't know how you know, 
Bryce Harper is injured, so I assume they will pick a replacement for him. Yeah. Yeah, not all of these players will actually go to the game. Some will be injured. Yeah, so I would think maybe they would replace Bryce Harper with Freddie Freeman, but you're kind of surprised to see him left off the list altogether. And yeah. then um, as a Cardinals fan, Tommy Edmond has been pretty good this year. You were kind of hoping to see him come in as a reserve, but he did not get on there. Those are the two biggest ones that I saw. I'm sure there are lots more and probably some in the AL that I'm less familiar with. I guess I was a little surprised at um, Tim Anderson as the starting shortstop. Um, He's had a decent year. I've always thought Tim Anderson is overrated. I think he's a terrible defender. Is he leading the league in rare errors this year? He was at one point. I don't know if he still is. Let me look here. How many errors does he have? He has 10 errors so far this year, which is the same number he had all of last year. So he's been bad defensively. I think he's a bad base runner. I think he's not a uh, – yeah. I, I do not like Tim Anderson as a baseball player. He's a good hitter. He's a very good hitter. I will give him that. His OPS plus is 123 this year. But I don't know. I just think there are better, um, better um, shortstops in the AL than him but i don't know he's a good player for sure but i don't he is not my type of player carlos correa has more war better ops is a better defender not but yeah i don't know the other complaint i have about the al is um stanton being a starting outfielder he's played like six like 75 60 to 75 percent of the games he's played have been at dh also, he is one of the worst outfield defenders I have ever seen in my life. And I watched Miguel Sano play the outfield for a year. Um, so I don't know how he could be a starting outfielder. I wouldn't be upset with him being a DH, but he, he, he is so bad defensively in the outfield. Very bad. Well, it sounds like we're saying defense doesn't matter that much to all-star games, really. To the fans, right? Yeah. These, my, my gripes aren't with... Both of them should be all-stars, I would say, Anderson and Stanton. But I don't think they should be starters. Yeah. So, no. I mean, you know that the teams, right, the players from the, the, the bigger market teams are the ones who are going to be the starters more often than not, um, just because that's the way it goes, right? I mean, the American League, you got Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Astros, Red Sox, Yankees, Angels, Yankees, Angels. Sounds about right. right. That's about the only, yeah, those are all from the biggest markets in the AL right there. None of the small market AL teams have starters. In the National League, you've got Cubs, it's much more spread out um, in the NL. You've got Cubs, Cardinals, Marlins, Padres, Dodgers, Braves, Dodgers, Giants, Phillies for your starters. So more spread out, but I don't know. To me... The All-Star game doesn't mean anything. I may watch it, I guess. I'm not going to be doing anything else. But, um, yeah. It's been, it's been rare recently that I even turn it on. It used to be must-watch TV. They've, they've damaged the All-Star game. I will maybe turn on the Home Run Derby in the background while I'm doing something else, but I'm generally not even sitting down to you know watch that either. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember, but I've heard stories of when, like, when free agency wasn't as common, when there was no interleague play, um, things like this, where the 
players in different leagues actually didn't like each other and yeah. the all-star game was super competitive because of it right um part of me misses that for sure part of me would love to see that players giving playing their hideouts in the all-star game for the love of the game and and all of that part of me misses that would love to see it but i know those days are coming how much do they tie contract incentives into like all-star voting and like being on those teams because that's the big complaint in like the nba is that they have the fan votes and people vote for whoever they want randomly and then a guy who's like a lot better misses out on millions of dollars because we just decided some k-pop fans decided to vote andrew wiggins as a starter for the all-star game yeah i don't know they're tied to awards voting more in major league baseball than that um mvp voting rookie of the year voting things like that I'm not sure about all-star voting. I, I'd have to look at that, but I don't think all-star has a ton to do with it. Well, that's good, because it definitely should not hinge on the fans, because we are not smart as a mass. Yeah, it's not millions of dollars by any means riding on it. Anybody have any other thoughts about baseball or the all-star game they want to get off their chest before we throw it over to Ariane? All right, Ariane, take it away with apparently NBA basketball that is still happening despite the season being over. How does that work? Yeah, so apparently NBA basketball never ends. Um, We were talking before we started. I was like, I can go over Summer League if you want. I don't know how much anybody cares about it. To which, Mike, you were like, everybody apparently cares about it. That's all that was up on the TVs at Buffalo Wild Wings. So we'll go over it really briefly. Um, Summer League is... (laughs) I was talking uh, the other day. Summer League might be the worst basketball that you can watch. If you are not a fan of a team, college basketball is fun. You have you like your guys, but and the NBA obviously is like the highest level of basketball players. The summer league is this awkward in between where you have a lot of the guys who just got drafted who are really good in college, but now they don't have those guys who are not good in college. So they're just playing each other and it just it looks really rough while they're getting accustomed to playing against a bunch of guys who are as good as they are. So you're really only watching it if you're curious to see development of your team or you just really, really need to watch basketball right now. Um, The Las Vegas Summer League is the biggest one. Uh, All 30 teams participate. The rosters are comprised of rookie, sophomore, and G League players. And the teams will compete in four games. And then the top two teams based on win percentage will advance to the championship matchup, while the 28 other teams will play each other for their fifth games. And just a little bit of information you might be thinking with only four games, seems like there might be a tie. That's fair. Um, If there's a two teams tied at the top, the first tiebreaker would be head-to-head matchup. If those two teams played each other in one of the prior four matchups, the winning team earns the higher seed. And uh, the second one will be point differential. So the team with the greater point differential uh, through those four games receives the higher seed. And then if more than two teams are tied, the first tiebreaker is point differential like I just stated. And then the second tiebreak would be a random drawing. That's always oh, fun. I love random drawings. Like you just ran out of stuff. You're like, I don't know, man. Higher seed gets determined by a coin flip. That's just what we'll do. I don't want to write any more rules. Um, and that's pretty much what you need to know. I think a lot of it is being broadcast on ESPN. Check it out if you're interested. You can see the young guys. Um, but that's really all I have for it. In some other news, Wimbledon finished up. The finals were this week. Unfortunately, Kyle is not here this week. He is our tennis expert. So I'll just really briefly tell you the results. 
Uh, Novak Djokovic won his 21st Grand Slam title uh, and 7th Wimbledon title. He defeated Nick Kyrgios, Kyrgios of Australia, who was making his first ever finals in a major. He did only get there by default because uh, Rafael Nadal had a tear in his pectoral or abdominal muscle. But he, he performed pretty well in the final. Um, it was fun. It's always interesting to watch Nick Kyrgios because he is kind of a psychopath. And pretty much any point he loses, he just is yelling at himself, his box, the line judge, some random people in the audience. Um, they had some uh, some royal people there, like one of the royal kids. And you can just see him swearing up a storm. And I thought that was funny <laughs> to see. <laughs> Hopefully the kid can learn some fun new words from him. But uh, it was a good match overall, and Djokovic is just really, really good at tennis, so big surprise that he won. On the women's side, Elena Rybikina of Kazakhstan beat Anz Jabur of Tunisia. Um, that was also her first ever major title. Um, something kind of interesting. Wimbledon decided to ban all Russian-born players, or Russian-represented players, however you want to say that, um, just because of all the problems going on over on that side. However, Elena Rybikina has dual citizenship, Russian and Kazakhstan. So in the end, a Russian player ended up winning Wimbledon anyway. So good job to those guys. Uh, really looks like their rules made a lot of sense. And that is all I have for Wimbledon because I don't want to get too out of my depth here. And we will move it on to F1 as promised. Wyatt, you want to take it for us? Formula One, the pinnacle of motorsport. We just finished off with the Austrian Grand Prix uh, that takes place at the Red Bull Ring, which is, of course, Red Bull, the constructor or team's uh, home base, essentially. And it is officially halftime for the Formula One World Championship. We're halfway through the season in terms of races. And so far at this halfway point, including the results from the Austrian Grand Prix, Ferrari's still uh, in it for the World Constructors Championship. Um so that's pretty cool to see that they're still in competition. Max Verstappen still leading the World Drivers Championship. Um, but throughout this race, the Austrian Grand Prix, there was a ton of action throughout the entire race, uh, especially in the middle of the pack. And we'll get a little more into that here in a second. But there was a lot of five-second time penalties for breach of track limits, which is really annoying. They've really cracked down on that this year. Um, there was 43 total infractions imposed. And... Um, Five individuals, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly, Lando Norris, and Joe Guanyu received uh, five-second time penalties for uh, those breaches. The way that track breaches work, or track limits breaches work, is there's a white line that runs down either side of the track. And uh, on curves, where there's a, a curb, those bumpy things that you see, uh, there's no white line there. But the white line will be the outside of the curb. And essentially, you have to keep at least one tire inside the white line or on the curb as you're going through a corner. Otherwise, you breach the track limits. And you get two breaches before you get a uh, crossed black and white flag, which is kind of a warning that says, hey, um, this third breach here, uh, any more that you get, you're going to get a penalty, basically. Um, so those five individuals I listed off earlier, uh, breached track limits more than three times, so they got a five-second time penalty. Uh, it's up in the air whether or not those were warranted. I mean, there's a couple turns where when you breach track limits, you're actually putting yourself at a disadvantage. You know, there's gravel on the outside of the track, which slows you down, or you, you run really wide or something. Um, you're already kind of um, self-imposing, I guess, a disadvantage. 
So the whole point of having a five second time penalty or a stop and go or something is to remedy an advantage that you would have gained. So I'm not sure what the point is in giving you another five second time penalty, time second five second time penalty uh, when you have already kind of screwed yourself out of a place or a couple seconds uh, on the lap. But that's neither here or there. We can get into that more um, this season if they keep putting these silly uh, rules into place. Podium finish for this uh, Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc, first time for him to win when not starting on pole. Huge points for Ferrari right there. Fantastic. He did beat Max Verstappen. Verstappen was only a second and a half behind him, so it was a tight race to that one-two position the entire time. Coming in third place, we had Lewis Hamilton, 41 seconds behind. Much, much slower than both the Ferrari and the Red Bull. Some notable finishes, though, right behind Hamilton was his teammate, um, George Russell at four, so he's still within his top five, keeping Kyle's prediction from a couple months ago alive. And Mick Schumacher had the best finish for Haas this year at P6, and then uh, K-Mag was at P8. Uh, very cool to see. Haas's best finish ever, I think, was probably like fifth place or something a couple years ago. So seeing them at sixth and being very competitive is really cool to see, especially for us Americans. Haas is the only American constructor that we have on the field or on the grid this year so really really cool to see the moral of the story for this grand prix was who needs strategy when you've got pace both ferrari cars and we'll get into what happened to um carlos Sainz here in a second but both ferrari cars were out of this world fantastic they were really fast not only on the straights where you want to be fast but also going through the corners a lot of downforce really really cool to see um very competitive with Red Bull at their home track. And and again, just seeing Ferrari win here and not Red Bull is uh, kind of a sting. Throughout the rest of this race, um, like I said, we had some really cool middle-of-the-pack action. Uh, we had three abreast at times throughout some turns, which was wild to see. The main five here were Fernando Alonso, uh, Kevin Magnussen, Lando Norris, Joe Guanyu, and then Mick Schumacher. These five... Uh, throughout that first third of the race or so, we're all together battling it out for P8 uh, through 12. Uh, it was really, really cool to see. And no contact. There was no no wreck that occurred out of this. It's it just really cool racing. You know, when you see three F1 cars side by side by side going down a straightaway into a curve and none of the drivers hit each other, I mean, that's just the pinnacle of motorsport, right? Really cool to see. Uh, we did have some DNFs, so um, Perez was out due to a collision with... Um, George Russell on the opening lap. Uh, Russell did get a five-second time penalty due to that, but he uh, uh, Perez was eventually out of the race. Sebastian Vettel um, was hit by Pierre Gasly on lap 40, so towards the end of this race. It was like a 57-lap race, if I recall. Um, he got hit because Gasly ran wide through a turn, and he got a penalty for that. Vettel was very upset, which is fair. And most interestingly, on lap 57, um, so it was more than a 57-lap race, obviously, Carlos sign. Uh, Carlos Sainz's his engine blew up. It just exploded. Uh, he pulled off the track to a slope portion of a runaway, and the car caught fire like big flames. If you look at some pictures out here, it's uh, pretty wild to see. Um, the car started rolling backwards, though, before he had a chance to get out of the car. And when the car is rolling backwards, it's going back towards the track. Uh, there was a fire, ma- fire marshal out there, and he tried to chalk the wheel to stop the car from, from moving, Right, trying to put something behind the wheel to it stop uh, but it didn't help the car just ran over and it kept going backwards while it's on fire and signs is still inside the car uh, he was somehow able to turn his wheels though such that the car backed into the barrier which stopped it from uh rolling back on the track but it's a very very 
spooky incident here. It's uh, scary when cars catch on fire, even scarier when the driver is still in the car while the car is on fire. And then add on that this car is now rolling back onto an active track, potentially. Um, very spooky situation out here. That's what happened to the Austrian Grand Prix. That is uh, up to date on Formula One for us now. We're looking forward to two more races uh, before a summer break. Those would be the French Grand Prix and the Hungarian Grand Prix, if I believe. Let me double check that. Yeah, we have French, uh, Hungarian, and then the Belgian Grand Prix will be after the summer break for Formula One at Spa. So stay tuned. We will um, have two more Grand Prix coming up soon for you. Thank you, Wyatt, for filling us all in on that. I am super excited to see how that um, how that continues to go um, this season. I am going to maintain my assertion that um, that Lewis Hamilton is over the hill until proven otherwise. He did beat George Russell today, though. He got a podium finish. Okay, he beat his teammates. He still didn't. Come. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying he's over the hill. He's worse than he used to be. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But we'll see how it turns out. He's on the down slope. Anyway, um, since we've talked about F1, um, first I want to thank Ariane for covering for me last week on Mike's Stupid Rules. I heard you all learned some great stuff about NBA contracts. Um, so yeah, thank you, Ariane. I appreciate that. The most fun of topics. I like it. It's stuff I don't understand, so I'll have to go back and listen to that um, so I understand it better. What I do understand, though, is baseball rules. So I'm talking about something that happened um, this past week. Um, it was a Bach-off. Um, Matt Whistler with uh, runners on first and third in the 10th inning of a one-run game in Cincinnati um, was called for a Bach that allowed the game-winning run to score. Now, there was some controversy about um, this. So I want to go over the rules um, for the Bach um, and, and talk about the play. Um, so the two applicable rules here, we're going to start with rule um, 5.07A2, which talks about the set position and the stretch position. Um, so since it's the, what that rule says is before assuming set position, the player may elect to make any natural preliminary motion such as that known as the stretch. But if he so elect, he shall come to the set position before delivering the ball to a batter. After assuming the set position, any natural associate, uh, natural motion associated with delivery of the ball to the batter, he commits to the pitch without alteration or interruption. So essentially, while you're in the stretch, you can make any natural motion that's not associated with going towards the stretch position, um, is essentially, or sorry, towards the set position is what that rule says. Um, The other rule that's going to apply here is going to be rule 6.02a. That is the Bach rule. It says, if there's a runner or runners, it is a Bach when the pitcher, while touching the plate, meaning the rubber, makes any motion naturally associated with his pitch and fails to make such delivery. So this is an interesting case in the baseball rule book where... Um, if you, right, if you make an unnatural motion in the stretch position, as we talked about in that, um, first rule, it doesn't explicitly say what you're supposed to do about it, right? It's what sometimes referred to as a don't do that rule. You're not supposed to do it, 
but it doesn't say what your penalty is going to be for doing it. Um, the assumption is that, right, so some people say it should be a balk and others don't because it doesn't explicitly list that as a balk in the rule book. Now, um, right, you could say that it is a motion um, – it is a motion associated with his pitch because it's something that normally goes to the set position. But there's, there's definitely some argument there um, and for it to be up for debate. He did make a motion that he sometimes makes when going to the pitch but, or when going into the set position. But when I look at it, I don't think he was trying to go to the set position um, with that motion. And I don't think he was doing it with the intent to deceive any runners. Um, and to me, that's a key point. It does specifically say um, in one of the comments on the Bach rule. Let me see if I can find it again. Um, yeah, so a comment on rule 6.2a, the Bach rule. Umpire should bear in mind that the purpose of the Bach rule is to prevent the pitcher from deliberately deceiving the base runner. If there is doubt in the umpire's mind, the intent of the pitcher should govern. Right, so to me, that's a very there's a that's a it was a very borderline situation. You guys can watch the video and judge for yourselves, but to me, that's a very borderline situation. Um, so I would have deferred to you know that rule, the intent rule there, and I did not see any intent. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that play? I know you've both watched it, so I want to know what your thoughts are. Before you gave the rule explanation, I was already on the side of that's not a Bach. And I'm not going to completely crap on the umpire or anything because box are really hard to call. But I, I don't like this as a box. He, so what he did, if you decide not to watch the video, he has the ball in his right hand behind his back, left hand gloved, obviously, in his front. He essentially shook his left hand a little bit, kind of like he brought it up towards him. The ball never moved from, from the small of his back. He just kind of brought up his glove and put it right back down. Like it I don't even think his arm moved. It was like a, like a yeah. wrist movement. At, it was like a little moment. slick. Well, flick of the wrist, right? And he got called for a Bach on that. And I, I just don't agree. First of all, I, I still don't think that's part of his normal pitching motion. I watched a couple uh, videos of, of him pitching, and it's uh, having his hands apart like that is very rare. His, his motion really starts clasped uh, to, to the side of his body. So right there, I mean, you've, the umpire's been watching him pitch for, you know, a couple pitches already this game. Not like he has never seen him before or anything. And two, like you said, the intense uh, of the pitch there, and really, if, uh, we could probably take a step back, and not even the intent, but what did it do? What advantage was gained by the pitcher by flicking his wrist? That in and of itself kind of spits in the face of the Bach rule, I think. But I don't know. I don't like it as a Bach. But I'm also not going to crap on the umpire for it, because like I said, that's really hard to call. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, as you guys have both said, seems like a really borderline call. And definitely hearing the rule about intent, when you combine that with the game situation... And the fact that it ended the game and lost them the game, and you are making kind of a judgment, wishy-washy, ticky-tack call, I feel like you have to go with the one that gives people a chance to keep playing, not the one that ends the game completely. I don't like a call that does that. I don't know. I think you got to make the call you think is... Um, you got to make the call you think it is, regardless of the situation. I do not like situational officiating, where you make the call based on what... The situation. If it's a Bach, it's a Bach. If it's not, it's not. You can argue that he got a call wrong, but you can't say, oh, we shouldn't have made that in this situation. Either we should or we shouldn't have. That, that's my opinion. No, yeah. situation should not dictate call. 
I'm not 100% on. We we don't agree on that all the time, but I, I don't think he should have made the call anyway. So I just feel like especially shouldn't have made the call to end the game. Yeah, I I agree. I tend to agree with you on that. I don't think it was a balk, but yeah, you guys can watch it and judge for yourself. It's definitely in the gray area. And with the with with the note about intent officially in the rule book, I didn't realize that was actually in the rule book. Um, but as soon as I saw that was actually in the rule book, that's what swung it for me towards no balk. So definitely life with human referees, though. Uh, definitely on. We were talking about this before the episode. Watching Wimbledon, their uh, robo ref auto replay is so fast and so efficient. Like if we could put this into a couple other sports wherever we can, it'd be fantastic. I would love. Yeah, that. the challenge system in tennis. You all should go look that up. It's it's very good. It's, it's very, excellent. Very good. That is the end for stupid rules. Um. So as always, we will go from stupid rules to a write that down prediction segment. To our very high-pressure accountability session, which is already over. There was nothing. Nothing came off the board this week. Um, that, that was it. So there you go. There you have it. Nothing off the board. Eventually, we'll get some stuff. But I don't know. We've got a lot of, a lot of uh, predictions that are going to come off the board at the end of the either F1 or baseball seasons. So it could be a little while before things come off the board. We'll see. So I will lead stuff, uh, lead us off putting stuff back on the board and make another prediction that will come off the board um, at the end of the season. I'm going to predict that Luisa Rise, um, Twins all-star infielder, will lead the league in batting at the end of the year, win the batting title. So have the highest batting average in Major League Baseball. He is uh, currently doing that. He is. He's currently hitting 348. 348. Next closest is Goldschmidt at 340, then Devers at 372. He's got quite a few less, not quite a few, a few less at-bats than the two and three guys underneath him. He does. That is true. <laughs> he is third in baseball in hits behind the two guys. Oh, sorry, fourth, sixth in baseball in hits um, as well with 100 hits. How's, uh, how's the Twins' schedule looking down the stretch? The Twins do have one of the tougher schedules um down the stretch um according to the projections from um fan graphs it's projected that the twins the remaining twins schedule um will have a 506 winning percentage um which is the fourth highest in the american league hard to determine you know we're halfway through he's doing it already uh, that feels like a big enough time period to say that it doesn't seem like a fluke but it's also, at you know, if he, if he gets injured, right, he might not get enough at-bats to qualify for the batting title, so you have to factor yeah. that in there, too. I think we can, we can readily discount a double here. I, I'm looking at I-triple. Is this a home run? I was between double and triple, so a triple, then, is fine I, with me? I would still down it on triple. I'm, I'm good with that. I'll take triple. Triple it is. Pretty good. Everything from Josh this week, is he still alive? Yeah, he's doing good. He decided to run a 5K on his own this morning, so good for you, Josh. That's a lot more ambitious than I was this morning. Um, well done. Um, he is making a Brewers prediction. He is going to predict that Rowdy Telez, um, the Brewers, one of the Brewers' power hitters who looks exactly like somebody named Rowdy Telez should look, um, they are predicting that he is predicting that he will 
get up to 20 home runs by the end of the week. So by the end of play on Sunday. He currently has 17 home runs. Um, The Brewers are off today, play the Twins for two games, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then play San Francisco for four, Thursday through Sunday. I mean, I don't see that happening. He hit two home runs. Oh, no, that's July. We're halfway through, more or less July. I guess a third of the way through July. He's hit two home runs. Basically hit three home runs in a week when he's hit 17 through the first half of the year. This seems like triple home run territory to me. I would agree. I'm between triple or a home run. Uh, What's he currently at again? 17. 17. Yeah. 82 games. That seems unlikely. Agreed. Unlikely, but, but feasible. Projected to finish with 32 on the season in 153 games. I'm leaning more towards a triple on this one as well. Like I said, unlikely okay. but feasible. It's not unlikely. Right. If he, if he has he a hot week, hot. Yeah. yeah. I'll take a triple. Triple it is. Very good. I'm going to predict that there will not be a race this year that does not have a DNF in, in Formula One. Um, this happens much more rarely than I thought. Um, for example, there's only been 11 races in F1 history without a DNF. And one of those is kind of like an asterisk because it was kind of an F, but not really. Uh, two of these happened in 2021, oddly enough. But like, it's, it's very, very rare for us to have a race where there is not a DNF. A rare is rare. I said, there's only been 11 out of Grand Prix that started in 1950. So you're asking for a triple a home run? Yeah. Uh, how many are in a year? Uh, this year, yeah, there's 20... Um, there's 22 races, I think. So this is well it's varied. It's varied since 1950, obviously, but so this yeah. is well under a once a year occurrence. That yeah. there are 20 races per year, and we've had 11 of these in 50 years or in 70 years now. Absolutely, seems like a pretty safe home run. I will share with you, and yeah, seems like a home run. So I will share the first one that ever happened was 1961. The second one was in 2005. So there you have a 40. Um, 46 year gap between those two and then you have another one in 2005 2011 2015 two in 2016 2018 19 and then uh, 2021 the drivers are getting well. better well, and the cars are more reliable too so i just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page i'm not trying to pull one over on here or anything but I'm, so how I'm many willing... has it been since 20 2011 give me the last 10 years uh 2011 so there's been one two three four five six seven eight of the 11 so in the last 20, so 2011, that's 11 years. And there have been how many of them, you Eight, said? Seven. Wait, what did I say? Either, one, way that's, either way, that's under 5%. So that's under 5% of races that have a DNF, probably closer to 3%. Um, so saying some, yeah. I'm between a triple and a home run. I was on home run to start, so I'll just stay at home run. Uh, it sounds good. We'll give you a home run for that, right? I will take it. Do we have anything from Kyle this week? Yes, he's enjoying his vacation, but he did um, give us a prediction before he, um, or as he was on vacation here, so thank you, Kyle, for taking time to do that. He is predicting that Ferrari goes 1-2 in the next race. That's going to be the French Grand Prix, which has this massive, two really massive straightaways. One of them is broken up with a chicane, if I recall. 
I mean, just based off of what Ferrari's been doing, they certainly have the power and the grip to do it. Their strategy has come to bite them in almost every single race, except for this this most recent one, really. They got kind of lucky. And we also have Max Verstappen and Hamilton to worry about. I don't think Ferrari's going to go 1-2. That seems extremely unlikely. Whether or not it's home run unlikely, I'm not sure. I would say we're still in triple home run right here because you know saying yeah I I would lean towards a triple for this yeah I could see it we actually might have betting lines too I'd have to look Um, that doesn't help us too much to be honest I'd I'd be okay with a triple sounds good triple it is what do you got Ryan so my prediction is that we haven't really heard anything since I talked about it last week but there's really been no movement on this whole Kevin Durant drama saga thing but I'm gonna predict that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will both still be on the Nets roster at the start of the regular season. Neither of them will get traded before the beginning of the NBA regular season. Yeah, they are asking a ton for it. Um, the Timberwolves did inquire about KD, I heard this, and the Nets asked for Cat and, and N4 picks. Cat and N4 picks. It's like, uh, no. Yeah, and then the trade that they actually made for Gobert seems to have buoyed the market quite a bit because of how much they gave up to get him. So yeah. now they're trying to get more, but it makes no sense. Why would a team trade more than that if they want KD? Most teams can't do that and then have people that KD wants to play with. Right. It's all prohibitive. I mean, to, I, I say this all the time, but to me, what? Is he, is he going to sit out if they don't trade him? Yeah, I could see Kyrie sitting out. I really sure. can't see Kevin Durant out. sitting out. Let, let's just have both of them pull a Ben Simmons and make Ben Simmons be the only right. one who plays. <laughs> the weird thing is a, a team of ben, ben Simmons, KD, and Kyrie is pretty good. Yeah. They just played. They'd be a contender, but we're all being drama queens about this. It makes no sense. Uh, a contract is a contract, and I don't understand why it doesn't matter anymore. It's kind of annoying. And I don't have like a designated NBA team, but I feel bad for people who like a team because it's so hard to like any players anymore. Because regardless of how long they signed your team, they could just decide they're done. I, why did t- this, could, this can be a bigger philosophical question that we can think about and talk about next week. But across sports, why did teams get so soft on these things with players? Yeah, I'm sure we could talk about that for probably 25 minutes by itself. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hold that for next week. It's not, the, not a conversation for doing a write-that-down prediction. But anyway, back to your prediction. Um, double? Triple? I don't think this is a home run. I don't think it's a home run. I would think I'd be happy with a triple, probably. What? What do you think? I, I have no idea. Triple kind of sounds right in my gut. All right, I'm willing to do a triple, but now I kind of want to go back and bring you down to a triple because then we would have all had triples, but I know I can't. Hey, I got robbed last week on the write that down prediction, so. I, I wasn't here to help you, so. No. I, can we file grievances? Is that a thing? It is not a thing. Oh, man. It is not. We do still have to go over our codified write that down predictions rules, but we'll save that for when Kyle's back. And we'll, we'll do it when we're all together again. Exactly. Yeah. But until then, with one, two, three triples, four triples, one, two, three, four triples in a home run. Oh, my goodness. Swinging for the fences. That concludes our Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 181 of the 8311 cast. 
Alright, the next episode, make sure you check out our Twitter at it is real cast. We uh, post awesome stuff all the time. Give us a follow. Until next week, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Orion Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!